Hello, I am Natalia Comis and this is Humans on a Mission, the podcast where I talk to inspiring humans who are living their true soul mission on earth. Join me in conversation with some of the most brilliant people on the planet today, discussing what makes us human, what extraordinary measures we go to in order to discover our true purpose, and how we can make an impact not only in our own lives, but that of others too. And who knows, perhaps you'll discover something magical about yourself in the process. If making a positive change and the idea of a sharing economy appeals to you, then you're going to enjoy this episode. Whilst much of the world was still in lockdown, I had the pleasure of chatting with Benita Matowska about her passion and mission, sharing. Sharing is caring, as the saying goes, but Benita takes it to a whole new level. We look at how COVID has inspired a new wave of sharing in our communities today and what that world could look like if we all decided to share that little bit more. This was a really great, insightful and important chat, and I hope that you enjoy listening. So hello, hello. Today we're going to be talking to Benita Matowska, who is an international public speaker change maker and world leading expert on the sharing economy. An award winning social entrepreneur, she created the charity The People Who Share and Global Sharing Week. She's also the author of Generation Share, the world's first collection of successful new impactful business models and initiatives from around the world that are transforming lives and the planet. Through social innovation, Benita helps organizations become change makers and features regularly in the media worldwide. Welcome, Benita. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Thank you for being here. So Benita, why? Why are you so passionate about sharing? Well, I'm going to try and give you the abridged answer to that, (laughs) otherwise we'll literally be here all day. But I, uh, about 10 years ago now, I was invited to speak at the One Young World Congress. And I was invited to be a, what was called a a co-counselor, a mentor for young people, a gathering of young people to give young people a voice. And I was approached because my role was head of global entrepreneurship at Enterprise UK. And because of that title, which my friends used to joke sounded like head of the world, I used to get invited to all kinds of, um, you know, present awards and all sorts of initiatives and publics, lots and lots of public speaking. And I found myself backstage with Desmond Tutu and, and ultimately sharing a platform with him, which is probably the most humbling experience of my entire life. And I felt like I had some kind of, you know, imposter syndrome. And I've always been a good blagger. I've always been a good talker. And I just thought to myself, okay, you know, this really is the time for me to start doing something that really is going to be making a bigger contribution to people and planet. And the word that would not leave me following that event was the word sharing. And I would wake up in the night and I just had pen and paper next to my bed and I'd just be scribbling things, just ideas, random stuff that came into my head. And one morning, the first thought that I had was what's wrong with the world is there's a shortage of sharing. And then I then went on to think, well, actually, we can fix that because although our planetary resources may be finite, our potential to share, our human potential to share is unlimited. And if we can fix that, if we can unleash that, there's no end to what we can achieve. And following that, I launched The People Who Share in January 2011. And the organization was really very much about building this campaign for sharing, care, building a more caring, sharing society where people have access to shared resources. And that's really where it began. And, you know, a lot of my thinking was in the very early days of what's known as the sharing economy. And the movement obviously has has really grown since that time. And, uh, you know, there's lots of, of developments, lots of thinking And, you know, the people who share has become a a worldwide movement. We started with National Sharing Day in the UK. And then we went on, of course, to um, to to build and and grow into what's now become Global Sharing Week, which happens every June. Wow. Gosh. Okay. It really feels like, first of all, I love that you were having, you know, dreams and then you had that almost like epiphany, like a light bulb moment, would you say? that day and that you know suddenly sharing became your thing that you couldn't shake I love that I feel like that's you know I always talk about having having a mission in this lifetime and that at some point we suddenly just sort of click onto it and switch onto it whether you know it's it was 
when we were children or at some point in our lives or something's happened to kind of um, reawaken that spark. And it almost feels like that's what happened for you. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I think at the time that was such a focus, which of course it has been for the last decade for me. And I felt and feel so passionately about it. I really believe in the power of sharing to transform lives. And now there are, you know, there are so many examples of that happening all over the world. And for me, it really has been about finding my purpose, about Mm. finding my mission And, you know, I believe that I am born to do this, that I was born to do this. And initially, when you start saying things like that, people think you've really lost the plot. (laughs) And, you know, I had a very successful career for over 20 years in broadcasting and television. And, you know, I won awards for programs that I had uh, produced and directed and executive produced. I had a production company. I lived and worked in New York for eight years. And, And for me, this was really about... Uh, about a change about what could I contribute to the world you know what what difference could I make and I I do believe it's going to take all of us and look there's some really interesting things happening at the moment with the coronavirus Mm. crisis and ways in which people are sharing all over the world we've seen the largest volunteer efforts since the second world war for example and you know we've seen all kinds of businesses that have been transforming and, and figuring out how can they help Um, you know, whatever kind of production they may have had or manufacturing, what can they do to make a positive contribution to this crisis? All sorts of communities, individuals who found ways to connect with other people during this time. So a big shift is absolutely happening and we will not return to business as usual, that's for sure. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Do you think that, you know, in times of crisis like this or uncertainty or when, you know, crazy things happen and we suddenly feel cool to do things differently do you think sharing becomes easier do you think that well I guess what I'm trying to say here is is sharing part of our ingrained humanness that just suddenly comes out when you know when we are in need do you think that that suddenly that happens absolutely I always say that to share is to be human Mm. and you know there is some uh, you know some science and uh, you know to back this up but you know we are predisposed as human beings we we are hardwired to share and collaborate and it's evidence that in times of need and you go back through the kind of evolution of humankind and you can see that we would not have survived were it not for sharing were it Mm. not for finding ways of coming together with each other And survival is very much not about that whole kind of lone shark experience. It's about people connecting with other people. And you only have to look at what's happening right now to know that this is something, this pandemic that we've been facing is not something that anybody can handle alone. Uh, You know, no country, no government, no community group, no individual household, no single family. You know, it is about everybody doing their bit. And we've seen all kinds of actions and activities happening. And you only have to look at the whole growth of this mutual aid groups that have popped up all over the place, helping people do their shopping on their streets, find the things that they absolutely need and make sure that elderly people, that people with disabilities, that you know, people from low-income communities have what the resources they need to get through this crisis and the overwhelming and the outflow of support for key workers it's just really really interesting and there is something about that old adage necessity is the mother of invention mm. and at a time when we're most in need we become the most resourceful and the most creative and so i believe that in one sense yes it's easier to share now because it's inevitability people have had no choice but to share because nobody could get through this on their own so they've had to reach out to others they've had to find different ways of connecting with people given some of the the physical challenges and lockdowns and isolation and people needing to stay at home in order to save lives and that has meant people have had to find other ways of connecting be that you know digitally or finding safe ways to do that that actually is still going to enable others to come together in in you know in communities safely so I think it's a, a really really fascinating time that we're living in. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting now that you're saying that I'm thinking, so I was ill for um, several weeks, in fact, at the the start of all of the pandemic and probably for about six weeks. In fact, both me and my partner got ill and we obviously we couldn't go out. We couldn't go to the shops to get food or anything like that. 
and it was so fascinating to realize and to well a it was absolutely humbling and lovely to see people you know wanting to help and and exactly what you're saying you know people come and and support and you know help you get your shopping and whatever else but what I found super interesting was it was almost never the people that I expected um it was always people that actually I didn't know that well or that I I just honestly didn't expect, I I genuinely did not expect the support from certain people. And that really, really touched me. And it made me think about how, I don't know if it's different personalities, if it's different cultures, if it's the way people, different people have been brought up, but it does seem to be that there's, you know, there's certain people who are more akin to being able to adapt and to, you know, support and to show up in crisis situations or you know in crazy times in times of need and others who aren't necessarily able to do that for whatever reason have you found anything to to, I guess any other kind of proof of that or any any way in which certain people share differently or or respond differently in in that respect Well, certainly we know that people respond differently to change Mm. and to crisis and to challenge. And you're absolutely right that during this crisis, we have seen some very, very different responses. And oftentimes what you find is that you talked about the the sort of unusual suspects, if you like, the people Mm. that you didn't expect that come to help. And sometimes it's because those people perhaps it's almost like they need the, the, the sort of shield, if you like, of something bigger to mm-hmm. actually step up and do that. You know, when everything is is up for grabs to a certain degree and, and, and the playing field feels more level to some people um, because it's open to everybody to, to take that opportunity, then then that's that's when that happens. So sometimes you may find that, you know, people who may have been perhaps, you know, more reticent or, you know, in terms of you, you asked that question about, pers- is this about personality? Mm. Is the response about, you know, whether we have a more introvert potentially or extrovert personality? And, and there may be some of those aspects that, that come into play, but I definitely think sometimes it just means that people can feel a little bit more comfortable. There's something in a way to kind of hide behind. There's an excuse to do good. There's an excuse to help. There's a reason to do it. But also, I, I think what happens and what's happened is that, you know, we've seen a huge behavior shift happening during this time. People have had a lot of their choices taken away from them. So they haven't had the option of all of this multitude of things that they could be doing on a daily basis. When, you know, in the UK, for example, you can only go out once a day and you can only go out to do certain things and you only go out when when it's necessary and everything's closed, it reduces the options that you have. And so people have had to a certain degree, and this is not everybody because obviously have more time on their hands. Obviously there are those that are working healthcare workers on the front line who've had far from time, but for a lot of people, they've been spending time with themselves. They've been spending time indoors with their families, with the people that, that they live with in a very concentrated way. And that has given them that opportunity to, to really focus on what's meaningful and what's necessary and what's needed. And I think that's what's interesting. You know, I've seen through this pandemic, I've seen three different types of, of sharing happening. So first of all, there's the shared action, the largest volunteer effort since the Second World War, 750,000 people coming forward in the space of 48 hours to volunteer for the NHS. Um, There's been something of what I call a kindness pandemic that's happened around the world. I started a blog called Love in the Time of Corona, collecting stories Mm -hmm. of kindness and positivity and love. And there were so many stories, so many stories and examples out there on every continent, in every country, people finding ways to help. So we've had this social action, this shared action. And then we've had what I call a shared understanding. And that's about this value shift that we've seen where people are starting to reevaluate their lives, what's really important, this, this shared experience, this shared understanding of the world. People have been spending more time in nature, for example. It's, it, you know, frequently you hear people saying, oh, I, you know, 
for the first time I'm hearing the I'm hearing birdsong mm. or for the first time I'm noticing those flowers that are growing on my street for the first time I'm actually sitting in the small outdoor space that I'm lucky to have and appreciating it and so there is something about this shared understanding this shared experience that's happening and then finally the third form of sharing that I've seen and most importantly is the shared responsibility and there's been this understanding, the whole notion of social distancing, this whole idea that I'm doing something in order to protect others, to save lives, to make sure that, that, that this does not spread, that more people are not adversely affected and that there aren't more fatalities. And there's been something about that collective responsibility, the sense that we're all in this together, we can all do something about that. Right now, I think we're at a really interesting moment because you know, things are shifting and I believe we won't go back to business as usual. We can't go back to business as usual. But of course, for some people, those habits remain strong. And despite the fact that we've had 95% fewer flights, we've had uh, you know, traffic levels reduced to levels that, that they were at in 1955, the planet has been starting to breathe at a time, ironically, when humans have been struggling to breathe with this hideous, mm. hideous virus. And there's something in that. So, you know, I, I believe that there's, that there's a shift happening. And what's important really now is, is what happens next and how we respond and, and how this experience has the potential to reshape the world. And it is potential. It's very much about how can we build a more sustainable society and economy? Mm. And as businesses, what can we do in a really positive way to make a contribution to, to people and planet. It's long been the case, I've, I've spoken a lot about this whole idea that businesses can no longer only focus on creating economic or commercial value. They need to be making some kind of contribution. And what we've seen during the crisis is we've seen businesses, we've seen businesses disappear altogether. We've seen others really change and reinvent themselves and actually say, okay, what's needed right now? Well, what's needed right now is we look at, you know, food, food delivery services. We look at, you know, supermarkets. We look at a whole supply chain in terms of, in, you know, in terms of food. And we also look at, you know, necessary uh, ventilators and equipment that's been needed in hospitals and how some businesses have really come forward to use the expertise that they already have to be able to help in this, this situation. But there has been a real re-evaluation of what's important even this term key workers mm. you know who's valued who, who 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 are the people who are doing the jobs in society that really matter and therefore you start to say what can I do that can contribute and matter gosh um Benita so much there that I would love to unpack it's it's so fascinating how people you know, how people change when there's change happening around them that they can't control, right? Wasn't it just after the the last financial crisis, 2008 crash, that you, you know, your big changes in your life happened? Absolutely. And, you know, for me, I mentioned I, you know, I was working in, in broadcasting for over 20 years. Mm. And, you know, I realized 2008 was a time for, you know, so much uh, confusion and upheaval and change again. And, you know, for me, it was a chance to really reevaluate, you know, I had been working in an industry and, you know, working in the media, and I had gone into broadcasting and journalism, particularly because I wanted to change the world. I was driven by that whole idea of, of, of storytelling and, mm. you know, telling the stories that really matter and actually showcasing some of the issues that, you know, that are so pertinent. And after years and years of working in that industry and the struggle actually to be able to tell those positive stories. And, and I, I realized that what I wanted to be doing with my life was something that was much more on the front line about creating social impact and focusing on that. And so for me, it has been, it really has been a journey. And 2008 was the, the point for me where I left the world of television behind me and I, I moved into the charity sector and it was a very deliberate, deliberate move. It wasn't an easy move. It wasn't an easy transition. And it was very much about finding the right charity for me. It was also finding the charity that would have me because, mm. you know, although the skills that I had 
are absolutely you know transferable skills and working in broadcasting and communications obviously you can take all that experience and really support a charity using those skills and that experience but of course I didn't have the language of the charity sector it was alien to me and in the beginning it was quite a shock it's a very different pace and I was used to the world of production where you know everything is is very, very fast moving and you are delivering constantly. You're efficient. You're, you know, I'm a producer by nature. I produce everything in my life. That's the way I, I operate. And it's incredibly efficient. And I found that the change of pace when I moved into the charity sector, I spent the first you know, few months at Enterprise UK just marveling at the fact that people seem to be having meetings about meetings about meetings. <laughs> and I'm just like, I just, I've come here to get stuff done. Um, because that's what I've been all, always been about is getting stuff done. And so that was really interesting, you mm. know, how, how to translate that for good and find ways in which I can help in that respect and, and help to cause that transformation. Because, of course, I believe the charity sector does need to change, as all sectors need to change. And we need to embrace some of these, these different ways of working. But again, I believe that during this pandemic, we've seen a lot of that. And we've seen ways in which some charities have responded absolutely brilliantly to, to the crisis. We've also seen some really pertinent issues. You know, I've long held the view that there is no need for hunger in the world. Um, we did some, I did some research last year with the publication of my book, Generation Share, a social impact report, which really looked at how the sharing economy is saving and transforming millions of lives around the world. And we know, for example, when you look at food and food waste, and you know, we have three times more food than we need that's surplus and that's wasted every year. A third of our food is wasted every year. Perfectly good food that goes to landfill that could feed people living in food poverty three times over. We could end world hunger if we had those structures in place to share food and provide access to that share food, we could end world hunger. Homelessness is another issue as well. Similarly, we have everything we need to solve the issue of homelessness. And this has been proven during this crisis because within a 48 hour period in the UK, people who were rough sleeping were provided with temporary accommodation. That in itself is extraordinary. That's amazing, yeah. It's, it's not a perfect system. And of course, what needs to happen now is we need to find permanent homes and housing for people who've been taken off the streets in a very short amount of time put into temporary accommodation and we need to find a longer term solution but the point is that we have everything we need to solve these problems what we need is the political will and we need the structures and the infrastructure in place we need a more efficient sustainable economy that is built around people and planets and that supports them mm. do you think that 2008 Benita would respond how would you think that 2008 Benita would respond now if she hadn't made any changes yet do you think you'd go into doing the same thing or do you think you'd try and go more into the politics of it or you know a, a different avenue and, and storytelling in a different form or about a different topic well I've always been somebody who is interested in in change and social impact and social innovation it's been a driver throughout my life my parents uh, were always involved in lots and lots of charity work as a kid I was running jumble sales and uh, always raising funds and volunteering in the community I was very active I was the welfare officer for my um, local chapter of Benebrith youth organization a Jewish youth organization that I was involved in so you know, doing good and contributing to community has absolutely driven my life and my work. And I, I don't doubt that regardless if I hadn't made the change in 2008, moving out of out television, I would have found ways to be able to create impact in some way, shape or form. Though I know that I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I get restless and I look for my next thing. And, you know, during this pandemic, I have, I've had this sense of, of restlessness and I'm looking at, you know, what is my next contribution going yeah. to be? And I know that it's something to do with poverty. I know it's about poverty alleviation in some way, shape or form. I'm really passionate about the ability to be able to solve these big problems. I'm really passionate about this whole idea that 
to change the world, we need to change the narrative. And for the last four years, I've been working on this Generation Share, this book project. And the whole idea of Generation Share was to showcase positive stories of change makers from around the world who are transforming communities and society through using the power of sharing. And that has been an, an incredible journey that has taken me around the world, working with Sophie Scheinwald, wonderful visual storyteller. And this is a very visual book. And the whole idea really is to, is to showcase these positive stories because we don't hear enough of them. The media is inherently negative. And that was also part of my, of my frustration with the media. And one of the reasons that I wanted to leave because I was fed up of a negative narrative. Mm. I was fed up of being in a situation where I'd be pitching positive stories and they would say, you know, well, where's the drama in that? You know, where's the tension? And, uh, you know, this needs to be about failing children or it needs to be about uh, challenging uh, families or, and well, why does it, you know, why can't we look at the positive and the transformation and the hope? And so that's what this book brings. It brings stories of hope. It's been dubbed the big yellow book of hope. <laughs> and, I love that. <laughs> you know, recently it was, I mean, I'm really proud that it was voted top isolation read for a positive mm. future by Forbes. And, you know, it's what's fascinating is that there are, I interviewed over 200 change makers for the book for generation share and for every story that's included in the book there are thousands more stories that could have been told and there's no doubt we've seen by the uptake of the book the most successful book that pop policy press have published and we've you know that we've had an extraordinary response to it because people really want to see something positive and they want to see something hopeful and people are fed up of all the negativity um, that is fed to them on a daily basis. And it's, it's empowering. It's also, you know, this whole idea that, you know, there's a change maker inside every single one of us that needs to be unleashed. Um, you know, that these, these stories, yes, on the one hand, you can say they're extraordinary people, but they're also ordinary people. And, and I think there's something really powerful about that. And I come back to this, this notion that to share is to be human, that we are fundamentally good as human beings and we want to help others. We are predisposed to do that. And mm. I think this pandemic has given and shown many examples of that. And Generation Share shows that you know people from all walks of life, I looked at demographics, I wanted to better understand who are the people who are building the sharing economy? Are they young? Are they old? Do they live in urban areas, rural areas? Is this about geography? Is this about where you live in the world? Is it about culture, religion, disability? I wanted to better gender. You know, I wanted to better understand who are the people. And what's interesting is that the world over, wherever I spoke and interviewed people and we photographed people and told the stories of their projects of transformation, what you start to realize is that sharers come from all walks of life. Anybody can do this. We all have the potential. And so many of uh, the change makers have come from really, really challenging situations. Artie Naik in the slums in Mumbai from her one room slum home, who saw that the girls around her had a future of being sex trafficked, married at a very young age, prostitution. What kind of future was that? And she wanted to escape, but she wanted to transform her community and she wanted to offer girls the chance of an education and the chance of a future. So it wasn't just about doing it for herself, but it was about doing it for others. And she started making necklaces, earning nine rupees a day so that she could educate herself so that she would then be able to teach others. And she had to learn English, she had to learn Hindi, because in many of the slums they speak lo local dialects, in this case Marathi. And that's been absolutely vital. But more than that, she understood that in order to entice girls to come and get an education, she would need to feed them. Because the only reason they would come would be for food. Because if they could be doing something else that could put food in their bellies and bring food for their families, that's what they'd be doing. And so that's exactly what she's done. And every day the girls have been coming to the school and they get fed a hot meal, often, oftentimes the only hot meal they get. And they're learning, they're learning uh, literacy, they're learning maths, they're learning science, they're learning IT skills. 
and they're having this opportunity to access education and be able to have a future. And during this crisis, Artie's been doing some extraordinary work. She's set up a digital school so that girls can continue their education safely from home. She's been Amazing. finding ways to, that they can access that digital education, be that through mobile phones. And, and she's still continuing to take food to these girls. So in the slums, with a handful of volunteers, they are distributing food for girls and their families. So it's just extraordinary, whatever walk of life people come from, they have found ways to transform communities through sharing. It's just, it really is extraordinary. I'm so glad that you mentioned Artie because I was going to ask you about her because I loved how you introduced the book with with her um, message to you. And I really feel like, you know, we've talked about sharing and, and how that impacts us and what it, and what that is. And it really just feels like you're, you're sharing stories about sharing. And I think that's such a lovely cycle isn't it and such a nice I don't know there's something really just simple and beautiful about that and I guess from my perspective at least it's a shared consciousness and a shared humanness and that within each of us there's something that we are here to share with each other and I think everything that you've just described describes that beautifully and is a perfect example of that it's really interesting how you have looked at, you know, you have looked at the statistics, you have looked at the geography and the genders and all of the things that you just mentioned. Was there anything that you were surprised by out of any of this, this data? Well, I, I suppose what was most surprising for me was the scale of all of this. So I always had this instinct that sharing's happening the world over that to share is to be human that we have this potential to solve world hunger for example through the redistribution and access to surplus food but actually when you start to look at the metrics and you start to look at the numbers and you realize that a third of the food is wasted that's enough food to feed those who are living in food poverty three times over mm. you start to realize the huge potential for this so i think for me it was it was very much the the you know if there was anything surprising it was the scale of it and it was also just how how deep this goes you know there were many occasions during the interviews when people would cry there would be tears um some really powerful stuff because people you know, I'd asked every single person for this book a very simple question. What does sharing mean to you? What does sharing mean to you? A simple, open question. And for every single person in the book, there was a different response. And sometimes they weren't necessarily the responses I expected. So, you know, when Jacob Berkson, who's the founder of Thousand for One Thousand, who crowdfund rent for refugees, he's a disabled man in a wheelchair, and when I asked him, what does sharing mean to you? And he started talking about, well, one thing that's nice about being disabled is it makes you aware of your own dependence on other people. He said, I can't get dressed or go to the toilet without assistance. And then he said, but nobody else can either, right? Mm. Because we invisibilize the sewage worker. We invisibilize the people who make the clothes. They are somewhere else, but our dependence on them is enormous it's just very, very visible when you're disabled. And that really stopped me in my tracks because he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right that depending on our circumstances depends on what's visible or not, but the sharing's always happening. It's always there and we're always dependent on it. Someone is making our clothes. Somebody is, you know, is, is responsible for building the manufacturing uh, things that we need for our everyday lives. And yes, our dependence on them is absolutely enormous. It's just, you know, how we understand that. And so I think if there was anything surprising, it would have been the responses to that question and the scale of the sharing that's happening out there. That's so beautiful. And it kind of reminds me of how, I mean, let's take this, you know, this pandemic, this recent pandemic as an example there's a lot of people who aren't taking it seriously and then there's a lot of people who are taking it very seriously and more likely than not the people who are taking it uh, you know very seriously are 
probably people who have been more affected by it, right? So who they've they've experienced something firsthand, they've seen something firsthand. It's it's personally made an impact. And those who aren't taking it as seriously, maybe that hasn't happened, or they have a set of beliefs that you know means that they don't believe it exists or whatever. And I feel like what you just described, you know, about the sewage workers and um, you know having that support um I feel a lot of that is about what we don't see or what we choose not to see and believe right and how that impacts us on a personal level and essentially kind of you know ignorance is bliss to to a big extent and how many of us throw food away knowing that we're chucking good food away or that, you know, the clothes that we don't need anymore, that that could go somewhere. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because, again, I'm referring to this current situation. And, you know, in talking to Lindsay Boswell, uh, who is the CEO of Fairshare, an extraordinary mm. organisation who divert food from uh, landfill, perfectly good food um, that would otherwise be wasted, and they divert that to people living in food poverty. And You know, last year they uh, delivered food for over 50 million meals in the UK. That's one organisation, one social enterprise and charity that is, you know, doing extraordinary work. And I spoke to him at the beginning of this of this crisis. And one of the things that he told me, again, it's similar to this whole idea of, okay, we've got this homelessness issue, people sleeping rough on the streets. So we're going to provide accommodation, temporary accommodation, and suddenly you don't have people on the streets. Similarly, what happened with food waste was that a mountain of, of food that would otherwise have been wasted, you know, disappeared overnight. Mm. And, and again, that was really fascinating to see what was happening in the context of that. Um, you know, we obviously had lots of panic buying in supermarkets and empty shelves and all the rest of it. And of course, you, you start to transfer the waste potentially into people's homes. And of course, you had other other places where that waste existed, but it was just interesting how it moved from one part of the supply chain, it moved out of one part of the supply chain. And so my point is that we have this ability to solve these problems. What we need are the systems and the political will, of course, and, and the care to do this. But I do think in terms of in terms of food waste, one of the interesting things that's happened during this time is that because people have been spending so much time at home, they've been a lot more creative and inventive with what they're eating. And you've had a situation where perhaps there's been less choice. And so you've been saying, okay, well, we'll just combine those leftovers with that. And, and there's been a sense that people haven't really wanted to waste food during mm. this time because they've become much more aware of how precious it is. And, you know, rather than just taking things for granted, there's more of an, a growing appreciation of what we have and gratitude has also been really notable during this time. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever done so much cooking in my life. <laughs> and it's been nice. It's been so lovely to be able to do that. And, you know, being in Spain, we've luckily been able to get vegetables delivered by our, by our local farmer, fresh organic veg. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that and being able to cook beautiful meals with it. And I feel like there is a sense of, of being more responsible. I think, you know, in, in many different ways and whatever that looks like for each person, I do think there's a lot more responsibility that is taking place or, you know, a lot of people wanting everyone to take more responsibility. And I guess, you know, when we look at the, the efforts in the last few years, you know, when we look at things like, the trend of reducing plastic and and there has been a trend around food waste as well um and i like a lot of the time you know it feels just like that like just like a trend and it, it's when something happens that suddenly it hits home and, and you do actually feel like wanting to do something about it uh, and this kind of goes back to something that i was saying recently around why do some of the things that we want to do not work out and I genuinely think it's because you don't actually want it to like you don't you know you don't really feel like it's something you want to do you're not overly passionate about it or you're doing it for you know somebody else or for society or because you feel like you should do it and and I feel a little bit the same when it comes to you know the the trends and sustainability and eco and all of that 
And not to say that I don't think it's important. And I think that it's a journey that, you know, it does need to become a trend in order to become something else to an extent. But I do feel like there's, you know, as soon as it hits you on a more personal level, that's when the changes happen. And I don't know if you if you think the same, or if you have anything to add to that. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, that that idea that that whole notion that if, if there's something that you, you you go for and you you decide, OK, I'm, this is what I'm going to do, but your heart's not really in it mm. and then you don't achieve it. I do believe there's something in that. You know, I, I think there's something about finding your purpose and and finding that passion within you that leads you to do the things well that you really care about. And oftentimes it's true that if we don't really care about something, we're not going to give it our best shot. We're not going to do the best. We're not going to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And I, I, I do agree. I do believe that, you know, that to be absolutely true. I think that, again, during this time, people have really been reevaluating what is it that drives them? What is it that really matters to them? And, and looking at that, and I think there's all kinds of changes that are coming as a result of this. People who are saying, do you know, I was really miserable in that job. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't, why do I need to get on a train and commute to do a job that I really don't like? And other people who are saying, actually, I really conversely really appreciate that job that I have been doing. I may not have been really shouting about it, but actually I do love it and I do miss it. So I, you know, I think this time is a time for, you know, for reevaluation where people are really looking at, they've had that opportunity for change. Yeah, I agree. Do you think that, or rather what role do you think technology plays in the future of the sharing economy, especially looking at, you know, now and, and how that's, played such a big part in the especially in the last few months well it really has and you know people have been connected via technology because there's been no other option and you know it's interesting because elderly people um uh, you know charities all kinds of businesses organizations have just had to adapt technologically they've had to find a way that they can operate using technology it's as simple as that there's been again there's been no choice in the matter and that's really, really significant. And also, I think on a, on a, in terms of, before we come on to the businesses and the sharing economy um, aspect of that future, I think it's really interesting in terms of, of individuals because it's documented already that people are far more connected and in touch with their families um, and, and their friends uh, that, that perhaps you know, live in other places than you know than they ever were i mean i know from my own experience i speak to both of my parents several times a day mm. we have video calls several times a day and again it's it's um it is really interesting how we've all you know reevaluated the way that we communicate and connect so uh, you know i believe that you know the the growth of what's become known as the sharing economy and i do believe there are lots of myths around what it is and what it isn't but the, you know, the growth of it certainly has been enabled by technology. Technology has always been an enabler. It's always offered the opportunity to connect with people that we don't yet know in a way that we never previously imagined. And I think that's really powerful. I do believe that, uh, you know, I mean, technology and how we operate in this, in this digital world is absolutely vital for the, you know, the future of, of any business really, um, anyone that's not embracing it certainly right now is 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 absolutely suffering they really don't have a, a choice that said what's happening right now is that people are there is something of screen fatigue mm. and I'm starting to hear it from you know from my friends I did a, an online yoga session this morning and I was talking about it with um, the, the woman lovely woman who incidentally can you believe I do yoga with a woman called Cher can you believe that? You would think I had made that up. It's spelled S-H-E-R. But when a friend introduced me to her, I said, well, that's obviously the yoga class for me. Um, and, you know, she was saying the same thing, that there is, there is, this, there is this kind of screen fatigue. And, you know, it's, it's understandable. I, I've, and I, you know, I was saying the other day that um, I had this very sort of trusty pair of headphones that I absolutely loved and wore and wore and wore for many years. And, 
in, at the beginning of the year, they'd sort of, they were all kind of falling apart and they, you know, they definitely needed an upgrade. It was my birthday in March and, and I'd said to, you know, my husband and my kids, but the only thing that I, I'm, I really don't like superfluous gifts being given, but I said, actually, one thing that I do genuinely need is another pair of headphones because these are, you know, and so in the middle of March, I got my lovely pair of headphones for my birthday and I just never take them off my ears. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, whether I'm using them for my choir, which is now, of course, a digital choir um, or lots of podcasts and interviews and webinars and meetings and talking to my family. It's just, you know, they're, they're, I just I walk around with them the other day. I went for a walk in the park the other day. And my friend looked at me and she said, you do realise you've still got your headphones on? <laughs> and I hadn't even realised. Um, so, but in answer to your question about, you know, technology and the future of the sharing economy, look, you know, the two are inextricably linked. I think all, you know, technology is a part of, a part of life um, in, the, in this world that we live in. And there are, are, are negatives and there are positives to that. And really it's about how the technology is used. It's always been about the why and the how mm-hmm. and the people who drive it. And when it's used for good reasons and it's used with good intentions, then the outcomes are going to be positive and helpful to people and planet. But of course, you know, technology is not always used um, with good, you know, good intentions and good reasons. And so, I, you know, I think it always comes back to what's the purpose, what's the intention, where's the why you know why is this being done and of course yeah there's all kinds of exciting and exhilarating and amazing things we can do through technology but it really depends on the intent yes I agree we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that and I won't because we're running out of time but um (laughs) I do completely agree with you know why are we using it what is it being used for and how um and what is the one of the best ways that it can be used for good and and with you know things like human rights at the forefront i watched your ted talk recently you know what i really loved was or in fact you've mentioned it a few times in in previous talks and i think it's how we are brought up you know as children to to trust and to share and we're taught how to share when we are kids and somewhere along the line we kind of forget why that is that what what's what is it about sharing and how do we you know how do we share and why should we share and um this is mine it's not yours what if you break it or steal it or you know all that kind of thing and and you talk about how you know how we need to remember what sharing is and I love that you you know you ask everyone in the book what their you know what sharing means to them and I feel like when you do that on a personal level when each person is asked to look at that I feel like that connects us a lot more to it and starts that process of share, of remembering but I would love to know what tips you can give to people what tips you normally give to people to to start that process, you know, from a really practical point of view as well. Well, I, you know, there's, there's a really simple um, response to that, which is, you know, each day when you wake up on a morning, ask yourself a very simple question, what can I share today? Because everybody has something to share, you know, and that can be as simple as a smile. It might be that you can do the shopping for a neighbor um, or, you know, help somebody with a disability to be able to get their prescriptions. Um, But it could be something really, really simple. It might be just sharing your time, uh, uh, you know, and just being generous with your time, taking the time to sit down and listen to somebody. And so it's a very simple question, but I just try to ask myself that on a daily basis, what can I share today? Mm. And, you know, without judgment and without, uh, you know, saying I have to do this or I have to do that, but actually just a very, a very open question. What can I share today? Because every single one of us has got that unlimited potential and capacity to share. And there are, look, there are so many ways in which we can get involved. There are so many charities that need volunteers. There are so many, um, incredible projects that need financial support that need emotional support that need 
promoting and publicizing and that we can share with our friends you know it could be something really simple that you know somebody has sent you uh, you know a link to something that is just really useful and you know who who that would help and you share that so you know these are very simple things that everybody can do and wherever you are on the economic spectrum you know wh whatever circumstances you're living in all of us we all bring something into this world we all have skills and talents and abilities and we all have something to contribute and i think it's just remembering that mm. you know nobody is a better sharer than anybody else really when it comes down to it we all have that potential we can all make a contribution yes i love that um when do you think you'll be satisfied that we've learned to share when do you, what or what do you hope you know will happen once everyone's learned to share well, look, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the eternal <laughs> optimist. You, you, you get that from my talks and you know that from having this conversation that, you know, I see the world through a very positive lens. And part of that is because I believe that positivity is inspiring. It's engaging. It creates more ripples of positivity. And so, you know, for me, this is an ongoing journey. I don't necessarily believe that it's about getting to an end where, you know, sharing is perfect and, 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 and the job is done necessarily. I do believe that we have a lot of work to do to build a more caring, sharing society. I believe that this pandemic has given us an opportunity to edge closer towards that. And I believe that what happens next is going to be incredibly important. I think it's incredible that we have demonstrated that as humans we have the the capacity and the ability to reverse the impacts of climate change we've seen blue skies over shanghai over delhi we've seen fish swimming in places mm -hmm. that we haven't been see, seen fish swimming in before we've seen uh, you know the the positive impact of the lowered carbon use uh, whilst people of course have been traveling um, much much less that's been reduced and restricted so I believe we've you know, we've demonstrated we can do this. You know, there's been this this question, hasn't there, about whether it's all too late in terms of the impacts on climate change. And I believe what's happened during this crisis shows that where there's the will, where there's the political will, it's just exactly like we were talking about that. You know, the homeless mm. situation. We have the capacity to end rough sleeping. We have all this capacity and ability. The will needs to be there. So you know i don't want to i don't want necessarily want to say the work's never done but i believe that there is all, always more sharing there's always more that we can do as the work as the world evolves and develops and changes and and grows in lots of different ways hmm. i feel like there's always changes and there's always more that we can bring to the equation i'm just looking at the time and it's 13 13 on my end i <laughs> love that um and I've just completely lost track because I got too excited about those numbers. Um, <laughs> I, get, I get very excited about these things, but there you go. Well, you know, we've, we've been talking about this idea that is the work ever done? Mm. And I believe it's constantly evolving. They're always, think about it, rather than saying, let's minimize the the you know the negative impact how about we optimize for positivity how about we build the best world that we can well in that case your work's to a degree never done because you can always do something that's more beautiful and more positive and more helpful and more supportive and more impactful and it's that whole idea of the circular economy where you're not just taking but you're giving back you're replenishing and, you know, one of the things that I worked really hard to do with the book was every element of production and design really took into consideration people and planet. So yeah. everything's fairly traded. The inks are organic inks. It's made from 100% waste materials. 90% just wasn't good enough. It had to be 100%. And each copy is sharing, is having an impact through supporting Artinakes, um, you know, project in, in Saki School for Girls and also planting a tree. So it is about giving back. And I'm really proud to say that for Global Sharing Week this year, we are the policy press, we've worked with policy press and we are launching and publishing digital 
version of not just the book in its entirety, but people will be able to purchase individual chapters. There are eight chapters in the book of the different demographics that I mentioned, which looking at age and gender and geography and so on. And that is going to be available digitally. And, you know, the book will be purchased at the same price as the print copy. And again, it's going to make that same contribution to, you know, to Artie's project in, in the slums in Mumbai to help empower and educate and feed girls and also plant more trees for every single copy that's sold. So I always believe there's more that we can do. There's more that we can improve. There's more that we can develop. There's always more sharing. Indeed. And that's such a perfect example of that. Um, I think we better wrap up because we're getting over an hour and this has been such an amazing conversation. I really feel like we could keep going, but um, I'm going to end it with just asking you, Benita, what is, what do you think your sole mission really is in this lifetime? (laughs) Well, well, for me, my, my mission really is about to change the world. We need to change the narrative. And that's what I bring. I bring this ability to be able to share these positive stories to inspire more change. Mm. I'm a, you know, I'm a communicator. I'm a presenter. I'm a speaker, and and I'm, I, you know, I work to inspire more people to create more change. That's always the end goal. The end goal is always the social impact. The sharing is absolutely the how, and it's and it is the why for me. It's why because I believe that I come back to that original idea and that awakening and that epiphany that what's wrong with the world is there's a shortage of sharing and if we can end that there's no end to what we can achieve our planetary resources may be finite but our potential to share is unlimited Mm. and sharing our light ultimately isn't it exactly what you were saying earlier about we all have unique gifts and skills and things that we can bring to the table and and through doing so we share our light and our love and our joy um yeah absolutely and in doing so that's contagious Mm. because it creates these ripples it creates more impact you know time and time again each of the change makers that i interviewed for generation share again this was a, a common theme that people talk about they started with something really tiny and it created these ripples that other people connected with that that light shone out and just created you know much more light and ultimately is incredibly illuminating yes and so for me that's it we have this potential to tell these better stories to bring this to showcase what's happening and these incredible stories of change and positivity and by sharing those actually what we do is we're able to transform the world mic drop (laughs) um benita tell us what else is happening you talked a little bit about global sharing week and how that happens every june and the digital versions of the book. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to share that is happening going forwards? Well, I'm continuing to do my work with um, with different organisations, you know, which really focuses on how we can change lives, how we can transform all kinds of organisations. I'm interested in that kind of change. How can businesses be more sustainable and make a positive contribution to people and planet so I continue to do that work I'll always write continue to blog those are the things that are important to me I've been running a a COVID-19 food relief campaign through the work that the people who share does the people who share is going through an interesting period at the moment we're in the process of becoming a charity we've been a non-profit led by volunteers for nearly a decade and we're officially going through the process now of becoming a charity and for us this is all about how we can help the planet and people in need through the sharing of vital resources and and I believe there will be some new projects on the horizon I have that sense of restlessness it will always be in this realm of of changing the world through changing the narrative and bringing that positivity. And I'm really interested in how I can work with charities and organizations to really help put those issues on the map. I'm really passionate about poverty and and how I can make a valuable contribution to that whole notion that we, you know, poverty is something that just shouldn't exist. And, you know, particularly when you start to look at, you know, issues like homelessness that we've talked about, we have solutions to these issues and, that's really what I want to kind of focus my energies and my efforts mm. on doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us and for 
bringing the sharing economy to the forefront of what needs to change. Um, can you let people know where they can find you, where they can find out more about the work that you do and where they can get the book? Yes, so I'm, I'm on Twitter at Benita Matowska. My email address is Benita at benitamatowska.com. You can also find me Benita at thepeoplewhoshare.com. There's lots and lots of information on the People Who Share website about all of the initiatives that we're involved in. And Global Sharing Week is globalsharingweek.org. In terms of the book, that's available online. You can get that directly from Policy Press. And it's really online, available online from all good bookstores. And I mentioned also that those digital versions of the book will also be available. So lots of ways I'm, I'm quite easy to find usually. Um, and in terms of the different activities and events um, online, obviously currently that the people who share run, that's all available through, through the website. And Generation Share has, we've got, um, we're on Instagram at generation underscore share. And we have a Facebook page as well for Generation Share. And so does the people who share. So yeah, they're sharing everywhere. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to find. Thank you. Thank you so much, Benita. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Well, I don't know about you, but Benita's passion and belief in the power of sharing to transform lives feels almost infectious. And in this rather crazy time that we're living in, spreading any kind of kindness, compassion or support feels more important than ever. So if you take anything away from today, let it be this. Nobody is a better sharer than anybody else. So why not ask yourself, what can I share today? And no matter how big or small, just simply start sharing. Thank you for listening to the Humans on a Mission podcast. I always love hearing your thoughts or how the episode may have inspired you. So please do share. You can do so by joining me in the Humans on a Mission Facebook group or hit me up on Instagram at Natalia Comis. And if you are looking to find your soul mission, do head over to my website, nataliacommerce.com and download your free Discover Your Mission workbook to get you started.